And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Friday, April 2nd, day two of the 2021 MLB season. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. A lot of great stuff to talk about. One day in the books already. We had a huge contract extension on opening day eve. Francisco Lindor gets 10 more years with the Mets, so we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the top prospects that made opening day rosters and expectations for them in the upcoming season. Probably get to a few 2021 predictions on this episode as well. So Keith, let's get right after it. Let's start with the Francisco Lindor extension. 10 years, $341 million in terms of guaranteed money. The third largest deal in baseball history behind Mike Trout and Mookie Betts. As a franchise player goes, is there anything you are looking for in Francisco Lindor that he doesn't do? I would say no. I actually think he probably would have gotten more if he'd gone to free agency because I was looking at the list of shortstops who are likely, at least as of right now, are going to get to free agency or or in his case, were scheduled to get to free agency. It was him, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Javier Baez. I don't think I missed anybody. And I take Lindor over all those guys. Um, and not just for right now, too. You know, maybe Seeger is the better player in 2021, but we're, you know, it's a 10-year contract. And I don't think anybody realistically is thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm getting value for this guy in years nine and 10, but you'd rather him not be a zero, right? You'd rather re- at least have him still be serviceable, or maybe he's still at shortstop and just doesn't hit like he used to, or maybe by that point he's moved to second base, but he's pretty good over there because he was such a good shortstop. Lindor, to me, strikes me as the guy who's got the best combination of he's really productive now on both sides of the ball. He's probably going to age very well, and he's such a good defensive shortstop now that I think is certainly better than Correa and better than Seager, um, and more consistent at least than Baez. Baez is probably capable of being as good as Lindor, but he's not that regularly. I feel much better about saying, yeah, Lindor is going to still provide plenty of value in the out years of the contract that this is not likely to be some kind of albatross where I do, you know, if you give Javi Baez a contract of this length, fun fact, don't think anybody's doing that. (laughs) You're absolutely worried. We saw what happened to him last year and as talented as he is and as exciting as he is, he's capable of some pretty low lows. And I don't think Lindor has that in him. I think there'll be more consistency, more predictability, but with plenty of upside too, that you're looking for in a, in a, franchise player who you're giving a contract of this length. Yeah, I love this from the Mets perspective. I think he is a guy that you can absolutely build around. I think it makes all the sense in the world having just made that trade to get him this winter to go ahead and get that extension. I think if they ended up having him as a rental, we might look back at that trade and say, yeah, they got a good deal, but 
only one year of Lindor, that didn't really pay off in the long run. A lot would have been riding on their success in 2021. If they won a World Series, great. If they didn't, then people would have been disappointed. And they would have, in that deal, they traded two shortstops, right? Andres Jimenez was the you know, steady Eddie defensive shortstop, pretty low upside, but you know he's a shortstop. He's absolutely a shortstop. And Ahmed Rosario really struggled defensively in the majors, but he was not that like that as a prospect too. I think he really kind of went backwards when he got to the big leagues and, and who knows what went on in terms of working, coaches working with him. Obviously, a lot of other things went wrong in the Mets front office the last couple of years. But he was nominally a shortstop. So the two shortstops at the top of their system just gone in the trade. And it's not like there was someone coming up behind him. So they would have ended up in a situation where they traded two shortstops, gotten Lindor, maybe gotten him for a year. Whether they win or not, they would have been out there looking for another shortstop this offseason anyway. Right. They probably would have gone after one of those big names, several of those yes. big names that you mentioned and filled the void that way. But clearly they went after Lindor via trade for a reason. Interesting thing I saw in a piece that Ben Clemens over at Fangraphs wrote. He said if Angelton Simmons didn't exist, we would we would basically appreciate Francisco Lindor's defensive ability at shortstop more than we do. Because Angelton Simmons is in his own stratosphere defensively, we almost sort of underrate just how good Lindor is at the position. Um that's an interesting one. I might say it's not just Simmons, right? Jose Iglesias exists and is a pretty elite defender also. We've been spoiled by some pretty incredible defensive players at multiple positions in the middle of the field too. The last, I don't know, 10 years or so, the Billy Hamiltons and the Byron Buxtons in center field too. Um, even add third base to that where Nolan Arenado has been one of the elite defenders at third base and Manny Machado is not far behind him. And I think Brian Hayes could be as good as any of them defensively at third base. So we've just been, we're in an era of some pretty incredible defensive players at skilled positions. And maybe that makes somebody like Francisco Lindor, who is consistently above average, but not, he's not in Dalton, right? He, and he's not Jose Iglesias where we're just, you know, maybe people in front offices would sort of value that guy, but the to the more casual observer, he just doesn't stand out. But when you look at the end of the season, I think if you looked at any kind of even modestly advanced metrics, Lindor is going to grade out pretty well. And if you're just watching day in and day out, he's making all the plays. He's consistently in the right place. He's a very heads up player and the kind of player that I think fans would would love, but maybe not glow about the, de- you know, you're raving about the defense because there are other players out there who aren't the same as he is as an all around player, but who are better just purely on the glove side. I think we've reached the, the end of an era. I think we've reached the end of LOL Mets and oh, yeah. Lindor signing yeah, sort of further solidifies that. I think the question a lot of people have is, you know, beyond spending more money, which clearly Steve Cohen is committed to doing, especially compared to the Wilpons, what is it really going to take for the Mets to reach the level of the Yankees and the Dodgers? Because for me, the success of the Yankees and the Dodgers goes beyond what they spend. Their development, their ability to find gems, their ability to do well in the draft, like those areas are part of the reason why those franchises are as great as they are. It's not just that they throw money at all their problems. Right, the Dodgers... This is a touchy thing to say, but if you are asking, I'm trying to phrase this in a diplomatic way, if you're asking what's the best run organization in baseball, the Dodgers at least have to be on that very, very short list. They are, even if you take the money out of it, they have done incredibly well in essentially all the areas where we would judge a baseball front office. They have drafted quite well. They have 
exceptional player development running right up to the big leagues. They have done an, ex- an excellent job of pro scouting, in, especially in terms of finding players in other organizations who are undervalued and who could potentially have more value with the Dodgers, either because they'll be used differently or in the cases of guys like Max Muncie or Chris Taylor, because the Dodgers will get them and change their swings. And on the international front, they've probably whiffed a little more often because they've had more money and taken more big swings, but they've also hit on some guys. Uh, so I don't see any weak spot anywhere on the Dodgers, and they just keep going. They've not changed their process as they become successful. They've not changed their process even as money has essentially allowed them to kind of do whatever they want. They get Mookie Betts, they, and they keep him forever. They get Trevor Bauer on a short-term, high-dollar-value deal. They have, yet they've continued doing the same things, same kinds of things in the draft, same kinds of things in player development that got them to this point in the first place. To me, it's kind of what makes them terrifying if I'm the GM of any of the other four clubs in that division because, hey, I I predict the Padres to win 96 games this year and to lose the division by 10. (laughs) Which is just unheard of. I mean, any other division, the Padres would probably be favored at 96 wins. And it gives you an idea of just how tall of an order it really is to chase down that team. I love the fact that they're trying because so many other teams would look at that gap and say, no, we're not closing that. Let's just try to be a high-variance 85-win team. Let's just try to get a wild card, and that's good enough. If we make the playoffs, great. If we don't, we'll trade players away midseason, we'll dump payroll, and we'll try again next year, right? So at least San Diego's like saying, you know what? We're going to try and stand up to the Dodgers. We're going to try. And even though they're underdogs, they're going to be a fun underdog to watch throughout this season. I want to talk about some of the decisions teams made with their opening day rosters because we saw quite a few players on your top 100 prospect list end up on rosters somewhat unexpectedly. And perhaps the most bizarre of all is Jonathan India, not because he's too young to be in the big leagues or it's a massive leap. The performance in the upper levels hasn't been there, especially for where he was drafted. But the Reds followed through on this idea, which seemed totally out of left field at the time, to move Eugenio Suarez back to shortstop, move Mike Moustakis over to third, and bring Jonathan India up to play second base. Let's start with just the India part of this, and injuries are part of his story as well, so that complicates matters a little bit. What type of player do you think India is at this stage? I think the thing, part of what probably makes it surprising to lots of folks that India made the club was that he wasn't very good two years ago. He was kind of seen, I think, a little bit as a busted pick. He was fifth overall in his draft class, and then in 2019, he goes out just to A ball and just doesn't produce. Well, it turns out that he was dealing with an injury with, a, I believe it was a hand or a wrist injury. It was a wrist injury. He suffered a wrist injury, that's right, in that April of 2019 and never got right. Tried to play through it for a while and he just really wasn't able to impact the ball at all. And when you have a wrist injury too, hitters have wrist, hand, hamate, bone, any injuries like that, it saps your power and it can sap your power for a long time, even after you're supposedly back from the injury. And I don't just mean home run power, but obviously now we think of, think of things just in terms of how hard you're hitting the ball. And he was not hitting the ball as hard in 2019 as he had previously. But if you're the Reds, you saw him in all of 2019 and he just wasn't good, but you know, he wasn't healthy. Well, in 2020, you saw him at the alternate site. And by all accounts, he was very good there. The Reds were extremely happy with how he looked and that his exit velocities were better and he was hitting the ball harder. And he did that a lot in college too, before the uh, before 2019. 
But your last game looks at this guy were just not very good. And I think a lot of these decisions probably that we're going to talk about are, that's the surprise, right? The last time we saw these guys, they just weren't very good. I like Jonathan Indy as a prospect. I put him back on my top 100 in large part because I remembered what he was in college and people with the red said, no, he's back to that. We saw it. We have real evidence we saw. It was just the alternate sites and nobody else could see it. But I think he's a guy who should, should hit for pretty good average with more doubles power than home runs. Maybe he's in the teens in home runs, but I think plenty of doubles. And I think he'll play pretty good defense at third. Multiple scouts told me when he was in college that they thought he could play shortstop maybe in the minors. He wasn't going to be that in the majors, but he was not incompetent at shortstop and that he'd probably end up being pretty good over at third base. So there's a lot to like there, but I keep coming back to this is a guy jumping from a ball where he wasn't very good. We're asking a lot of some of these players. It's not just India. A lot of these guys we're going to talk about, teams are asking them to do a lot to make a multi-level jump from a level where maybe they weren't playing up to their potential the last time they were able to get into games. And that was the problem, I think, for the Reds with their alternative. We did see Jose Garcia briefly in the big leagues last year, but he made the jump from high A to the big leagues. Like, that's massive, right? I yes, mean, and it didn't work. Right, so you're you're sacrificing his development as a hitter. If you believe he's a good enough defender, okay, but you're kind of wrecking him as a hitter if he's overexposed playing every day. So... Given the alternatives, given that they whiffed on the free agent market on the trade front to address this need, do you think this was really their best option going ahead and sliding Suarez back to short? I actually had a second plan. I think the better option, and I'm trying, I don't want to be too critical because I do like Jonathan India as a player, but they are so hell bent on making Nick Senzel a center fielder. And I just don't, it's not the best way to use him. I don't. Get it. This guy had turned himself into a pretty good third baseman at the time that they drafted him. And then they moved him to second base and he made himself pretty competent over there too. And they said, Oh yeah, that's okay. Well, it's nice that you did that, but we're going to move you again. And now he's gone to center field and he's had a hard time staying healthy. He's had a hard time staying healthy even before that, but it's not helping. And the easiest thing to do would have been to move Senzel back to the infield. You could have moved him to third base pretty much his natural position. I think he'd probably technically say he was naturally a shortstop, but really he's a third baseman. And then put Suarez at short and leave everybody else alone. You could have put Senzel at second base and put Moustakas back over at third, right? Don't both of those seem to you like they were um, easier? Paths of least resistance, basically. And you know what? If India goes to your alternate site for a month, you send him to AAA in May and he rakes you reevaluate. There's lots of other options, plenty of time to make an adjustment there. But this at least gets Senzel back on the dirt and maybe he stays healthy and starts hitting. Right. And that seems like an adjustment that they would be unlikely to make in season. If they were going to move Senzel back to the infield, don't you think they would have started that process with some of the tinkering in spring training? Isn't that one of the few things you can actually get out of spring to start to mess around like that? Yeah, but I think I saw a comment from Nick Crawl, their, their GM, basically saying, he's no, he's an outfielder. He's a center fielder. They just closed the door on that. And not, not it's not like I've spoken to, to Nick about this, Nick Crawl or Nick Senzel for that matter. <laughs> So I don't know. Maybe there's some other variable that I don't know about. I always got to sort of acknowledge what what we don't know. But just from where I sit, he was a, an above average defender at either of those infield spots. And I think he's more likely to produce offensively if he's playing there, even if it's just him because he's just not as banged up. But I think him playing the outfield 
it's not working in his favor. It is, I think it may be limiting his production at the plate. That's frustrating because this guy was second pick in the draft and I, you know, he may turn out to be one of the best picks from that draft just based on his bat. I really think he's going to hit, but we just haven't seen that guy yet. Yeah, I think the bat's still going to come around. I mean, some of the more optimistic projections for him this year, again, assuming a relatively full season of health, have him hitting 20 homers, stealing 17 bases, hitting 263 with a 328 OBP and a 459 slugging percentage. I would actually take the over on that slash line. I think he's capable of beating all three of those numbers. I think he's that type of player. I think the hit tool is better than what some people are giving him credit for. Yes, yes. I think he can really hit. There was some concern that last year, I think he was struggling with velocity, but that's not consistent throughout his career. Um, certainly not consistent in the minors or going back to college when he did see velocity. It's not like a Kevin Biggio situation where Biggio's just never hit good velocity. You know, I'm not, I don't share that worry on Senzel. And I think, you know, I think a lot of it was just physically not being 100%, especially last year, right? I believe he had a positive COVID test and that held him out. He didn't have a full spring training or spring training 2.0 as they were calling it. Just a lot of factors working against him. And I'm, I'm, when it comes to looking at guys' performances in 2020, whether it's actually in the majors, even what I'm hearing from the alt site, I, I need the slightest excuse to just say, just throw it out. Just throw it out. It's, it was a screwed up year. Let's not overreact to stuff last year. It's not, this is not a case of a guy losing two, three miles an hour off his fastball. I don't think Senzel's in that category. I'm willing to give him a pass and say he should still be the player we thought he was a year ago. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Just thinking about the alternate sites in general, did you hear anything good development-wise? Because one theory I had going into last season was that some of the the teenage prospects who would have been at low A or high A, by seeing a lot of double A and triple A competition, albeit guys in their own organization, that might have helped their development a little more than being buried at a low level for too long. But were there any other positives that may have come from the alternate site, which really feels like Groundhog's Day and just glorified practice. I actually heard that a lot. Now, I could never really tease out whether that was just people trying to find a silver lining. Like, this is all we've got, so let's make the best of it. And um, hey, I appreciate that. In a bad situation, the person who can find some positive or, or but, you know, not just spinning it, but actually finding something good to come out of it. Um, you need somebody like that, especially in a year like 2020. And I did have a lot of people say to me uh, that specifically they brought over some 19, even 18-year-old prospects just to have them hang out with the older guys or to have them face some of that better competition and just say, you know, there's no downside, right? Nobody's keeping track. Nobody's in the stands. So if you go over the summer, no one's really going to care. 
And so I think a lot of teams took that approach going in said, well, this is what we've got. Let's just bring some of our better guys. And, you know, for the Padres, CJ Abrams, I think played at 19 last year at the alternate site. And they said he was great. They said he had no problem hitting against much older pitching, much better pitching, better than anything he'd ever faced before. And it, it was why they were, were willing to kind of accelerate things with him. The Royals will tell you the same thing on Bobby Witt Jr. And the other thing is a lot of teams felt like it was a laboratory where they could experiment with some players. And Jaron Duran, who I think by now a lot of people have heard about these swing changes. I know Alex Perry has been on the pod, on my podcast. He talked about it. Duran made some swing changes on his own going into the 2020 season. There was a lot of optimism and he gets to the alternate site and then we see it. I mean, we see they could see it. And I actually saw some video from the alternate site. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's actually pretty different. You can do that, right? You can experiment and if it doesn't work, there's there are almost no consequences at that point. It, you could really treat it as a laboratory. And I wonder if teams will just do that too. You've got a month of an alternate site now. Uh, and, you know, with minor league spring training also happening concurrently, could you do that? Could you just say, hey, it's another month. All right, you didn't make the club, but we're going to have you at the alternate site. We're going to work on X. Maybe it's just one thing because it's a month instead of two and a half. But I would, for, if I were in a player development director's shoes, I would try to think of it this way. We, we've done this. We know we can use this as a laboratory, experiment with some things. We've had some successes. Great. Let's try to do it again. Shorter time frame, be a little less ambitious, but still try. Yeah, I think the Royals are pretty interesting because they had a couple of decisions. At one point, it looked like Bobby Witt Jr. might break camp. They at least gave us some signals publicly that they were thinking about it that may have just been a complete smokescreen and they maybe intended to send him down the entire time. Kyle Isbell ended up making the opening day roster, so we'll talk about him in a minute. But for Witt, when you saw him, again, from miles and miles away this spring, did you get the sense that he was actually on the cusp of making the big league roster? Or do you think he's at least a full year away from actually getting a prolonged opportunity? I I think they were serious. Uh and I have a lot of respect for the Royals people. They've done some really good things in player development. You know what? The guy they raved about other than Witt last summer was Nick Prado. And in brief looks in spring training, it did. It looked like, yes, they changed. They they said they changed his swing uh, because he wasn't – there was no impact. I saw him a lot because he played here in Wilmington in 2019. And honestly, I was just sick of it. It was just, just – it's not happening. And – Okay, it's just spring training and it's just a couple of looks. But you know what? I'm excited to see him now. I want to see him in double A because I bet you he is a different guy. I think he'll be back to the guy they took in the first round a couple of years ago. Maybe more so. Actually, he might be better. He might be driving the ball more than he even did as an amateur. And I would be over the moon to see that. I do feel bad for a kid when he's struggling like that. But I also get to the point where I'm like, all right, I got this guy. I got I, I got it. I got it. Let's – anybody else, come on. And – so the, the, look, the Royals do do very good things in player development. I, they like wit, I think a little more than the industry does. It was kind of interesting when I did my top 100 this, this off season and I got equal votes, uh, before I published the list from people with other clubs, as many people saying to move down, move wit down as to move him up, which sort of said to me, oh, he's probably in the right range then, but his bat is not a sure thing. It's not as advanced as a lot of the best high school hitters. And I think a large reason for that is he just played horrible competition in high school. Not his fault, but does sort of set where you are, you know, where every, not everyone starts from the same starting line. And his, 
even though defensively he's so good, his clock is so good, his arm is ridiculous, he's really fast, um, he can do a lot of things that most guys just can't dream of doing on the field. But the bat, the swing, he's going to have to prove it at the at the least. And I really would like to see him. If they want to be aggressive, great. Send him to double A. Send him to double A at, you know, he's an inexperienced 21 this year. He'll turn 21 in June. Uh, that's aggressive. That's great. You think he's a future superstar? If he is, he will be able to handle that. And the worst thing that happens is you have to promote him after a couple of weeks. I'm much more comfortable at that time frame. Yeah, if he goes to double A and rakes for the month of May, then bring him to triple A in June. See how right. that goes. Give him the next test. And by the 4th of July, if he's just tearing the cover off the ball at both upper levels of the minors, then you can call him up and you've got good reason to do it. I think well, then the you, jarring yeah. thing, you look at a guy that was at rookie ball and his numbers at rookie ball weren't eye-popping. Like you look at those numbers, you're like, he was old for a rookie ball guy. I realize it was only 37 games. But that was the thing I was having the most difficult time with. I'm like, this doesn't look like a dominant player yet. It looks like he could get there someday, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen right away in 2021. You compare him to what guys from that same draft did who were a bit younger. C.J. Abrams was in the same league as Witt, and he raked. Riley Green was in the Gulf Coast League, not the Arizona League. But same same draft, same age as Abrams, younger than Witt. He raked. They ended up moving him. Both he and Abrams ended up in low A, which is wasn't necessary. But still... Other players with the same basic resume as Wit did perform better in 19. Now, this is not to say anything's wrong with Wit, and you and I, I know we're on the same page. You don't read too much into 30-odd games, a small sample in a complex league. But still, that is some of the hardest evidence, clearest data that we have on Wit's level of readiness. We're not talking about he's less of a prospect in some sense. It's just, where is he on the timeline? That's literally it. Neither of us is saying, Witt's not a great prospect. He is a great prospect. (laughs) But it's, okay, maybe he's just six months behind. And that's not really going to matter so much in the long run, but it does matter to what decisions they're making with him in the short term. To be clear, I like Bobby Witt Jr. in the long run. I was very surprised when all of a sudden it looked like there was this chance they were going to put him on their opening day roster. But the Royals did put Kyle Isbell on the opening day roster. Uh, Last data points from him, 2019, a little old for the level at high A, uh, showed some speed, not really any power there. I don't really know what to make of him. Like The number scouting that I can do on him doesn't leave me excited, but I get the sense that there's probably a better player there than what the back of a baseball card would reveal. He was another hamate bone injury. He broke his hamate in April. He got off to a huge start. Uh, it was funny. And then, so there's another Wilmington guy. So I did see him early and he came back here and he was hitting some kind of inside out line drives, but everything was falling. Uh, he can run. Uh, he's pretty electric. Like his, uh, he's a guy where you just, if you walked in and didn't know, you'd watch him move on the bases in the field and you, you would say, all right, I'm supposed to watch that guy. He's probably a prospect. And there's bat speed. He wasn't doing a ton, but he was hitting for some average early. Great. Great first full year in pro ball is great. And I don't think he got to May before he broke his handmate. He was out for a while. And when he came back, it wasn't the same. He just wasn't. You could see it was just very soft contact. And I think he was a little bit like, I think he knew it and his approach changed just a little bit. He could still run. He could still play the outfield. And it was just sort of check back next year. And the next year never happened. So I'm less concerned. He is older. And he's kind of like kind of like India. They're older guys. It's let it's less of with Wit with Abrams. 
hey, there's plenty of time, right? You send those guys down for half a season, it's not going to really make a difference in the long run. I understand a little bit more with college guys, especially with college draftees who miss 2020 now, and it's you're thinking, God, the clock is ticking on these guys. I, I understand it. I also wonder if AAA were starting right now or next week, as it would be, would Isbell be there? Or was this just like, he's on the bubble, we could use him, let him get some game at-bats for a month as opposed to going to the alternate site. In a case like Isbell, I'm good with that. He's He is a real prospect, but he's not elite. You're not worried you're going to screw some guy up forever. He's older, and the alternative for him is not AAA right now. It could be in May, but the alternative for him right now is going to the alternate site. And I could absolutely understand any team with a bubble, older bubble guy like that saying, let's just put him on the big league roster. We'll work with him for another couple of weeks. We can always reevaluate on May 1st. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to look at that one for sure. Jazz Chisholm is a fun player for a ton of reasons. There's power, there's speed, there's definitely swing and miss. Defensively, I think he could move back to shortstop. That That's well within range, at least in, in my estimation. But when you look at Jazz Chisholm, how long do you think it's going to take him to get rid of the swing and miss that we see? Is this going to be a year of growing pains, or do you think he could make the adjustments relatively quickly and hold on to that starting second base job that he's beginning the season with. I'm so torn because I love watching that kid play. He is he is electric. He is ridiculous. And he combines crazy quick twitch athleticism with size too. I don't even think he's really filled out yet. He is his hands are huge. He is going to be strong. That's actually my worry. What has been my worry with him positionally was not that he can't play shortstop. He just kind of plays a little too quick. And I think probably needs to just kind of calm down and develop more of a rhythm over there. But he may just end up so big that they choose to move him to another position. But he can really run. His bat speed is amazing. And I don't think he has trouble. I think he's one of those guys where it's it's inexperience showing rather than inability. It is not that he doesn't pick up a breaking ball, for example. But I think he's just not really seen enough pitching. He's from the Bahamas. He has not played a ton in pro ball. I think his experience coming into pro ball was not great. He did have that sort of rough half or two-thirds of a season. Really, it was a half a season with Arizona after the trade to Miami for Zach Gallen, which is looking actually like a pretty good trade for both sides. He looked more like the player he had been before 2019, I just worry that when you've got a player who's so inexperienced, are those the worst? Those feel like the worst candidates to make an aggressive jump, right? Is he going to learn the things he needs to learn about pitch selection in the big leagues if he's going to hit a buck eighty for a while? And that could happen. I'm hoping it doesn't because I just kind of love watching the kid play. He, he'd be if he becomes the star that he's physically capable of being. He's going to be like a Javi Baez where we're saying, put this guy on the cover of a video game. He's that kind of player. He's dynamic and it's high energy and it's enthusiasm and he's going to do amazing things. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of swing and miss. He might strike out a third of the time this year if he plays a full season. And it's hard to be really productive, especially if you're striking out a third of the time. And even when you're putting the ball in play, some of your pitch choices, the choices to swing are maybe not the optimal ones. So I could see him having a rough year, even though I think really, really think highly of him as a prospect. It could be the kind of thing where once we have minor league games, he's struggling, gets sent down, spends some time at AAA, maybe comes back in the second half and has a little more success the second time around. But I'm right there with you. I'm really curious to see how this go around goes. Of course, the debut last year, it showed 
the flaws we're talking about. He hit 161 at a 242 OBP in just 21 games. Uh, Taylor Trammell is on the Mariners opening day roster. I feel bad for Taylor Trammell in some ways, Keith, because Jared Kelnick is the headliner and Julio Rodriguez is there. And I think most people are more excited about Rodriguez than Trammell. He's been traded a couple of times as a prospect. I've seen, I think it was a Brett Gardner comp from, from our friends over at Fangraphs, which is not a bad player. I feel like in some people's minds, it's like, oh, that's disappointing for a top prospect. No, like Brett Gardner's had a nice career. If that's what Taylor Trammell turns into, things turned out okay for him. So I know you talked to him on an episode of your podcast, The Keith Law Show, uh, back during the offseason. Uh, what are your expectations for him as a big leaguer here in 2021? Yeah, I'm. it sounds like he looked pretty good in spring training. Uh we did have him on the podcast. He was fantastic. Uh, and everyone, everyone in baseball has loved Trammell, the person, kind of since he got into pro ball. And he's been traded twice in both organizations that traded him sort of go out of their way to say, but we really love him. We love Taylor, the the kid. We just, you know, thought he needed to work on certain things or thought that, you know, there was a better fit somewhere else. I think the bottom line on him, at least the time that he got to Seattle was He's just not quite as advanced a hitter as he first appeared to be, that he was struggling to, uh, I think once he got to a level, double A or so, where it was velocity plus guys who could locate some breaking stuff, it broke down for him. That when he could generally see when in low A, especially, which I think was probably his best year in pro ball, when it was one or the other, but you don't see a lot of pitchers who can do both those things, he was fine. He can make those adjustments. But that proved to be too much of an adjustment. And then the question started, well, does he not have enough bat speed to hit velocity? Does he just not have the pitch recognition we thought he had when he was drawing a bunch of walks in low A? The Mariners... I think we're the most eyes open in terms of acquiring him. When I talk to folks there after the trade, talk this winter, they obviously they're thrilled to have him, but they were the most realistic on where he was with the bat. And that made it more of a surprise when he made the club. It does make me wonder, and I could be just fitting something to the events in front of me, but maybe they saw enough in spring training and said, yeah, he's actually turned that corner. And that would be great. That would absolutely be great. And it does give them plausible deniability on holding Jared Kalanick down for service time reasons, which their former pres- team president was so kind <laughs> to tell everyone in an open mic. Just read the entire script for the whole season all, all at once for everybody. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, One more player I wanted to ask you about, Chris Rodriguez in Anaheim getting the opportunity. Another guy making a big leap. High A was the last level he pitched at and he pitched all of nine and a third innings there in 2019. The Angels are going to use him as a reliever. Is this the best possible choice for his development? And do you think he can make it work, at least in a relief role? Yeah, that's... I've talked about him a bunch already. So about three, four weeks ago in a chat on my own site, I said, somebody asked, could he uh, you know, have some impact on the big league club this year? I said, hey, teams do stupid things. But he's thrown nine innings in three years, right? It's got to be a thousand to one odds against it. Well, he made the club. And so I assume if he does, I assume he'll pitch in the next couple of days. So I'm going to say I lost that hypothetical bet, certainly. But I still reserve the right to question the decision. This guy's thrown nine innings in three years. I think it's nine innings. It's a really, really small. You missed all of 18, made like two starts in 19, and then obviously 2020 didn't pitch. The first two were due to injury. He had a pretty serious back injury that wiped out two years, and then 2020 happened. And his stuff is unquestionably major league ready, but... His command is wasn't when I saw him. And the delivery is not super smooth. It's not very easy for him to repeat. I understand he's a very good athlete. But the last time I saw him pitch, it was not really – there was work to be done. So for them to say, we're going to take this guy who's barely pitched in three years and put him on the big league roster, I have questions. Number one is, how are you going to get this guy enough innings this year to make him a starter in 2022? And I don't know the answer to that because I don't think given his history – could you roll that guy out for 100 plus innings? I don't think so. It's really like how do you how do you even count alternate site innings compared to regular innings? Are those good enough? Right. It's a great development question for for guys that had major issues anyway and he absolutely fits into that bucket. So he goes 0 innings in 18, what 9 innings or whatever in 19. Say he threw 40 or 50 innings at the alternate site last year. He I just don't see how he's, you're going to be able to get him enough innings this year to make him a starter in 2022. And that's assuming he's effective enough to handle all the innings you want him to handle when you're the Angels and you're trying very hard to compete. You're trying to contend with the odds against you. You can't mess around, right? If Rodriguez isn't effective, you have to stop using him. They're not the Pirates, the Orioles. There are lots of clubs that could take a Chris Rodriguez-type prospect. If the Orioles called up D.L. Hall, who I love as a prospect, but he's walked a lot of guys. If they called him up this year and he was wild, but they thought it was best for a development, they could say, we don't care. We're not winning the division anyway. What does it matter, 
right? This is, they're in a situation to do that. But I feel like with the Angels, you are so constrained right now. They may be under the most pressure in terms of roster choices and player usages of anybody because they need to get to the playoffs. And on paper, they're probably not good enough. They're so close. <laughs> they're, yes, I agree. I think they're the biggest threat to the Astros in the West, but it's still, it's the Astros division until someone else proves otherwise. And just thinking about that Chris Rodriguez injury history, it kind of reminds me of young Dylan Bundy injury history, going back to his time in Baltimore and how they had to manage him very carefully for a long time. A little bit of that with uh, Julio Urias in Los Angeles too, just with the shoulder stuff he dealt with earlier in his career. It takes years sometimes to stretch somebody out as a starter if you don't do it from the jump. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's get to a few 2021 predictions. You had a piece that went up on The Athletic earlier this week. I want to talk about Randy Rosarena because what he did at the end of last season and in the playoffs was just flat out fun. He is the favorite for the AL Rookie of the Year Award. My question for you is, how could it go wrong for him? What is the biggest flaw that you can find in a Rosarena that teams might be able to exploit? I mean, he's never hit for this kind of power before, except for those two months, right? It was basically the the September and October, and that's kind of it. There's no track record of that. Now, there is track record of him hitting the ball extremely hard, and I asked Ray's people even before... Before he was called up, the time of the trade, it's like, this guy hits the ball really hard. We think there's more in there. Well, I, they were right. Hats off. They were, there's, this was a, if you talk to them, this was a scouts plus N, plus R&D. Everybody involved said, we like this player. We think there's more there. So, uh, you know, the number one way it could go wrong is he just continues to hit the ball hard, but it's not these huge fly balls that we saw last year. And a lot of those end up just kind of hard outs or hard doubles. And that makes him a good player, but not, elite you know i sort of i've joked you know he's not really babe ruth he just looked you know he looked like babe ruth for two months but he's clearly not that kind of player um the other way i could see it going wrong and this is uh more spitballing this is very speculative because i don't see anything particularly in a rosarena that makes me think this is going to happen but if he you know he he knows what he's capable of and if he becomes so power conscious or even so pull conscious, does he start swinging and missing like he hasn't previously? Because he's not that kind of hitter. And, you know, I don't know. When a player suddenly starts hitting for power like that, who knows what goes through his head? Does he change an approach somehow? Because maybe he's like, I'm a power hitter now. I've got, you know, I can do this all the time. When maybe that's not really what he is. Or maybe he can be that, but he doesn't have to change anything. And if it causes him to change his approach at all, and I'm thinking not just in terms of swing, although that could happen, but that's especially a thing in terms of pitch selection, just general plate discipline or just approach at the plate. If he changes any of those, he could be a lesser player as a result. And I'm not, these are not predictions, but it could, I think that those are plausible worst case scenarios for him. Yeah, I think for me, the one thing that caught my eye digging into him a little bit this offseason is that all the regular season home runs he's hit, a grand total of eight, have all come against fastballs. I looked at the playoff numbers. He did hit a couple of breaking pitches out in the postseason. I think he hit one of Grinky's sliders. He hit a, yes. a Gonsolin slider out. So it's not like he's never hit a, a homer off a breaking ball. But I do think breaking and off-speed pitches are an area where he's going to see more of those, almost yep. certainly, because he's been feasting on fastballs. And how quickly he makes that adjustment probably determines just how great the encore actually is. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's an excellent point because you know teams are looking at that. They're absolutely looking, all right, well, Rosarena, okay, all of Rosarena's major league home run, regular season home runs were hit on fastballs. Stop throwing him fastballs. 
That's absolutely going to happen. Make him show he can hit something else before we show him too many more fastballs. He might see two-thirds off speed or more at this rate. Teams are just going to try that. I mean, I brought this up before, but, you know, Kevin Biggio, I talked to Rays people after that series. Uh, the early series, what were they? The first first round, they faced the Blue Jays. And it's like, was your book on Biggio to just throw him velocity inside? And they said, how did you know? <laughs> Well, because word gets around. Fun fact. <laughs> when so, when a guy has a deficiency, that's not a deficiency for Rosarena, but maybe it is. Guys will find out. They, teams will find out. They have the data, and some of them still have scouts. And to me, the best way is, you know, you send a scout. You, if you told me, Keith, go watch this player for three games and give me some notes on how you think we should pitch to him. It's not a lot of – it's not a large sample. But I'm going to tell you what I saw, and I'm going to say, hey, go check the data and see what he does against X – and to me, that might be the best way as opposed to just – you might find something in the data that isn't actually real. But if somebody go, somebody with experience goes out and sees it says, I see this trend or I see this as a weakness and the R&D departments come in and say, hey, the data say that this thing is in fact a weakness. We have a larger sample here. That's the be- I mean, That is the way that the best organizations, including the Dodgers and the Rays, that's how they're going after it. That is how they're approaching big series. It's how they both approached the playoffs last year. Right. And I think that those adjustments – weren't necessarily breaking him during the postseason against top-level competitions that scout well and make those adjustments quickly, that should be encouraging. But I do think it's the kind of thing mm-hmm. that can still turn this season a little more sideways than people expect for Randy Arena. But I think I he fits into our last question. I wanted to ask you, who are you most excited to see at any level? I know you're just starting to see some live games again. We're all excited to get a chance to see baseball between now and probably the end of the season in some capacity. But who are you most looking forward to watching at some point here in 2021? I got out last weekend to UVA and saw Adrian Del Castillo, who's going to be a top 10 pick. He's a catcher at Miami. I am heading down to Maryland this weekend. There's a couple of pitchers I'm going to get to see. Um, you know, I'm dying to get I'm dying to get out and see anybody. That is the real truth. <laughs> you know, I want to go see Jack Leiter in person at Vanderbilt. Of course I do. But I also kind of know what he is. It's the guys I don't really know that well. Like the Astros signed a Cuban free agent. Pedro Leon, who in the international free agent period, and he's not 16. Most of those kids are 16. He's, I think, 20 or 21. And I talked to the Astros people and one or two other international scouts. The tool grades they're giving me on this guy are ridiculous. If that's what he is, hell yeah, I want to go see him. If he's really got 80 runs, 70 arm, maybe 70 glove, and he's showing 60 or 70 power, okay, maybe he can't hit. That's obviously always the question. We won't know until he plays. But yeah, I want to go see that guy. I want to go see that guy as soon as I possibly can. And there are him. He's he keeps jumping out because he's Cuban, right? No one's really seen him except for a few international scouts, not even that many of them. But those are the guys where I look at my top 100 or I look at my team rankings, and I know in my mind I see that name, and I'm like, I know there's like a blank cell next to that in the mental spreadsheet because I haven't seen him. Those are the guys I'm dying to get out and get a look at, for better or for worse. Totally fair. Uh, yeah, Pedro Leon seems very exciting based on some of the things I've heard about him, yeah. more, more accurately read about him. But I want to see what happens in games. What what can right. he actually do? Double like, A seems reasonable for him. And maybe he's a guy that finishes the year uh, as the Astros replacement for George Springer. That seems yeah. like it's in his range of outcomes. Right. If he's advanced, you know, the problem is he just hasn't played. Like a lot of Cuban defectors, plus the pandemic, we just don't know. And I agree. If he goes to high A and just rakes they're gonna push him up the system i would do the same thing so who's your guy who's the guy you're dying to see 
I want to see Wander because there's been <laughs> this kind of like this back burner chatter on Twitter about some of the exit velocity numbers, I think from the alternate site, not being that great. And like, I love exit velocity. I love StatCast. I love data. I don't ever want us to take that information when we're talking about a 20-year-old, a then 19-year-old when this was happening last summer, and just say, oh yeah, he's just never going to hit for power. Like, no, I just, I want to see it. I want to see where he's at. I want to see how far along he's come. I would say on the pitching side, Mackenzie Gore. I want to see Mackenzie Gore. I just want to see if he's as good as he's supposed to be because the glimpses we see, I understand why people get excited about him, but the consistency hasn't quite been there yet. He walked too many guys this spring. He mm-hmm. would have, pr- he might've made the club. I mean, that's, you know, it's been coming and going with him. You know, you go back to 2019, he didn't walk that many guys at all, but he walked a few too many guys this spring and it probably cost him a chance to make the big club. So I think it's in front of him. They're laying it out. You, you throw strikes, you're going to come to the big leagues. But I agree with you. I think we're probably not going to see Gore in the big leagues until they're confident. No, nope, he's going to throw enough strikes right away. It, that It's not a development thing because it goes back to something we've talked about at least twice already today. This is a team that's trying to make the playoffs. They cannot mess around with too much player development at the big league level. And there's so much injury risk in that rotation. As great of a job as they did adding arms, they're probably going to need Mackenzie Gore before this season is over. Yeah. Whether and he's Ryan Weathers totally too. ready or not. Yeah, Weathers, Weathers might be a little more polished right now, even though mm-hmm. Gore, of course, has that brighter long-term future. All right, well, that's going to wrap things up for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. If you want to check out Keith's Top 100 list or his season predictions, you can do that with a subscription. Get in for $1 a month, theathletic.com slash baseball show. It's the best deal we have going. If you enjoyed this show, take a minute to leave us a nice rating and review and tell a friend since we are new. You can hear more of Keith on The Keith Law Show, and you can hear me on Rates and Barrels in our full suite of fantasy baseball shows as well. On Twitter, he, of course, is at Keith Law. I'm at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show is back on Monday. Enjoy opening weekend. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.